Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is for customer service only and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Ng Associates, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marvin, certified financial planner and investment advisor with over 20 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I have an MBA in finance, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro, and I've been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. We're excited to have you listen to us on our show today. Our podcasts are up every week, like this week, exclusively on Friday afternoons. So you can now find us on MoneyMD.net or iTunes every Friday. Yeah, on our website, MoneyMD.net, Steve, we have a button on the right-hand side that will take you to the podcast uh, website. And we have past shows, you know, categorized by different topics. So um, download those and uh, you can listen to them at your convenience. I mean, you can be anywhere around the world listening to the Money Doctors. Yeah, you can go back and listen to all our old shows and they're right there, like you said, uh, categorized by topics. So you can find your favorite topic and see what the Money Doctors have to say about that topic because we're out there. Check us out on our website too, moneymd.net, where you can link to us. You can ask us your questions. Um, You can link to us um, directly. Uh, you can send us an email at info at moneymd.net. But we'd love to have your questions, and we'll answer those here on the show um, if possible. Well, John, I think we have an awesome show lineup for the day, some interesting stuff to talk about. You know, one of those is common 401k mistakes. Um, John, we see this all the time. People make some huge mistakes with their 401k. These are very common, so we have the the eight most common mistakes, according to Kiplinger's online here, and a very interesting topic. I think you'll want to yeah, mention this. Yeah, absolutely, because these mistakes can, can ruin your, your retirement. They can cost you thousands, tens of thousands of dollars <laughs> definitely, easily. Definitely, and then, then we're going to follow up that with a an article about uh, financial abuse of the elderly, and there's some studies and stats out there. Um, some of them are, are contradictory a little bit, but it's also kind of focuses on why it's hard to to prosecute some of these crimes. And uh, it's pretty rampant in our society, and we're going to go through some of the stats and some of the things that you can do to make sure it doesn't happen to you and your loved ones. And unfortunately, we see that in our business, mm-hmm. you know, quite frequently. So it's not it's not uncommon out there. So that's a great topic to talk about. All right, but we're going to start off here with our financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the Internal Revenue Source um, IRS, and interesting about 0.1 percent of American taxpayers that made more than a million dollars did not pay any federal income tax. So to put that in perspective, 443 taxpayers out of 410,000, so 0.1 percent, paid no income taxes and there's some valid reasons for that they probably some of them probably had carry forward losses uh is my guess i mean there's some some things that are legitimate um but a very very small percent of people that make a lot of money don't pay any taxes most people that so they're saying 443 out of the entire country Mm -hmm. didn't pay taxes wealthy people did not pay any that's right so it's a very small like minute yeah, it is. And then there was another stat that I didn't didn't share with you, but like 50% of taxpayers pay nothing. 
So 50% of people that file tax returns pay zero. So but those are uh, most of lower income. They are lower income. They are lower right, income. Right. So, you so know, very most, few wealthy people. So it's a good miscon- It's good to clear up that misconception because a lot of people think wealthy people get off without paying any taxes. Right. And there's the whole thing about Trump and this campaign. Mm-hmm. You know, but the truth is there are very few people that do that. And I think, and we see that too, and the few that I've looked at that have that kind of, you know, really high gross income, you know, they typically pay north of 30% effective mm-hmm. tax yeah, rate right. compared to the ordinary, nor- normal people that pay more like 8 to 10% mm-hmm. effective that's federal right. tax rate. It's rates. progressive. So, so normally they pay triple, you know, what the average person pays, so... Yeah, I think that's that's good. That clears up kind of a common misconception out there. It's it's rare. But, mm-hmm. you know, you do have some people that have huge write-offs from previous, like Trump, from some yeah. losing a billion dollars. Yeah, he's going to be writing, writing stuff so off for a while. So he can carry that forward forever, which, uh, you know, that that might be a problem. Mm-hmm. It should change that. Yeah, Maybe right, you right. You should only be able to carry it forward five years or something. Right. So... Anyway, good uh, fact of the week. That leads up to our first topic here. As I talked about, the five common mistakes in 401ks, and they can cost you tens of thousands of dollars, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars over your lifetime. So these are really important. And these are. this is an article out of Kiplinger's online, um, Alan Newswander or something. <laughs> I can't pronounce his name. Anyway, he's a CPA and a CFP, so... This comes from he he's uh, comes from Outlook Wealth Advisors here recent article, but the question is how is your 401k's health these days? Hopefully you treat it like your own health and you're getting regular checkups to make sure everything is working well, because it's very very important, John. I mean this is this is your future we're talking about here with your 401k for most people, and because if you wait until you have a concern whether it's your own health or your 401k's you might get an unexpected surprise that could be really tough to fix in fact it's impossible to fix after the fact yeah it is that's right yeah so you know some 401k mistakes can't be fixed at all um you get a once in a lifetime chance to get it right so be sure you avoid these 401k blunders so we'll jump right in this. First one here, not getting your full match. Sadly, we see this all the time. I mean, it's it's not uncommon for smart people that are out there to cut their 401k contribution back below the match temporarily, so they say, you know, and they neglect to raise it back up. I mean, it just happens. Everyone gets in tight financial spots at some point in their life, and that often leads them to cut their 401k contribution for a while. However, if you cut your contribution below what's required to get your match in your plan, then you're giving up free money. You know, that's money that's part of your hard-earned compensation that you voluntarily are giving back to the company. What's worse, you're likely to forget or procrastinate ever moving the contribution back up to where it should be. Therefore, we recommend you simply never cut your contribution below what's being matched. It's simply a trap, and you're likely to get caught in it if you make that move. Yeah, that's free money. That is free money. It, Don't miss that free money. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We do see that often, too too often. Uh, another one here is not setting um, aside enough money in your 401k. I mean, so how do you decide how much cash to contribute to your 401k? And this article says the easy answer for most is you cannot save too much, and I, I disagree with that a little bit. Uh, I think if you know if you're saving 
25 or 30 percent neglect in other areas, um, then then you may need to adjust that. But we encourage our clients to, to and other folks out there to, to max their contributions up to at least 15% towards retirement. Obviously, Dave Ramsey is a big proponent of that number. And as we just mentioned, you always want to set uh, aside enough to get the company's match. And depending on your tax rates, you may also want to investigate the Roth 401k option. Um, you know, that foregoes the, the tax deduction today, but all growth and fu- future uh, distributions are tax-free. So they have, you know, Roth uh, 401ks now for people who expect to be in a higher tax bracket in retirement a Roth 401k may afford more advantages than an ordinary IRA. Um, you know, so you may want to just, just check and, uh, you know, see, do some tax planning a little bit. You know, some cases you may, you may be in a, in a higher tax bracket and, and the Roth is a way to go inside the 401k as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, there are limits on the, the, how much you can contribute. Um, you know, it's $5,500 this year and $6,500 for those that are over 50. And that does change. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yep. So pay attention to that when you're when you're making your contribution. Um, but, you know, if you make over uh, – if you make over about 132000 for a single person or 194000 for a married couple, then you're not eligible to contribute to a regular Roth. However, the Roth 401K allows you to contribute $18,000 a year. 24,000 if you're over 50 and there's no income limitation. Right. So, yeah, I mean, the, the limits are, are pretty generous with a Roth and, you know, you can get a lot of money in there. You need to take advantage of that because that's tax-free money when you retire. I mean, it's it's never going to be taxed again unless the government reneges on that promise, which I think the, politically that would be very difficult for them to do. I do too. I think it's like changing Social Security. Exactly. So I don't I don't see that ever happening. You need to take advantage of that. That's a great opportunity out there, the Roth IRA. Um, all right, number three here is failing to track pre-tax versus after-tax contributions. Yeah, we see people all the time that have some after-tax money in their 401k plan. And you got to be real careful with that money when you get ready to roll it over. You get one chance at retirement to separate your after-tax contributions, and that's money you've already paid taxes on, in your 401k from your pre-tax contributions, and that's money that came out of your paycheck before taxes were paid on it. Um, if you miss that opportunity to separate those out, then you have to track that after-tax amount on every distribution for the rest of your life mm. by filing this form 8606, every year you withdraw money from your IRA. That can be an accounting nightmare. So, and if you fail to keep track of it, the IRS may have you pay tax on that money again. Imagine that. Imagine you having to double taxed on the money that you put in your 401k. And imagine the confusion that would cause your family if you're gone, you know. I mean, how would they ever figure out what portion of your money is supposed to be tax-free? The chances are unlikely they're going to look at your previous tax return and try to figure that out. You know, they're just going to pay tax on it again. Sure, so, right, double tax. Yeah, so you don't want to put after-tax money in your 401k or in your IRA. Um, if you have in your 401k, the real opportunity is that IRS now allows you to – to roll those after-tax dollars directly into a Roth IRA. Mm-hmm. That's a great opportunity, but you only get one shot to do that, so make sure you do it right when you do a, a rollover. Yeah, and we pay enough taxes in the in this country. You don't want to pay 
twice. You don't want right. to double up, that's for sure. Yeah, another one here, Steve, is missing big tax savings on company stock. I mean, this is another one-time opportunity at retirement that can reward you with significant tax savings. I mean, some people, you know, have net unrealized appreciation that allows special treatment for company stock in a 401k. This lets you pull company stock out of the 401k and pay tax only on the original purchase price versus its current value. For example, let's say you had 300000 of company stock, but you paid only 50000 for it. At retirement, you can move that 300000 to an after-tax brokerage account, so not an IRA, and only pay ordinary income tax on the basis of 50000 So that can be a huge windfall from a tax standpoint. Yeah, so company stock, yeah, that's an that's a unusual opportunity, but you want to make sure you don't miss that. And pay, people rarely choose to do that. Mm-hmm. We see that occasionally but even when you sold the stock you would pay eventually you would pay capital gains taxes on it on the 50,000 um to to $300,000 gain so $250,000 capital gains rates may be anywhere from 0 to 20% compared to almost 40% for ordinary income tax resulting in a potential tax savings of 15% or more on $250,000 that's $37,000 plus in savings that's a big savings it is so, it's, yep big yeah, not too many people have that option but it's that, that opportunity but it's a big deal if you do all right next on the list here is not investigating the brokerage window option in your 401k yeah many employer plans offer you a kind of a little publicized option called the brokerage window i know the folks out at southern <coughs> company mm-hmm. have this option mm-hmm. I mean, this option offers more investment choices than your standard 401k plans. Brokerage accounts usually include an annual cost, though. You have to be aware of that um, in the $50 range. And trading fees are higher. We've seen uh, $20 to $75 per trade. But it can give you the opportunity to, to have a lot more investment options, greater diversification compared to those standard choices. So... For, you know, the nominal fees, you can access a wider, potentially more attractive options with your brokerage window. Um, You know, it's a good option if you have a lot of money in there and those trading fees don't consume too much of your Mm -hmm. your income, I mean, your growth. Yeah, the next one here on the list, Steve, is skipping in-service distributions. I mean, in-service distributions, they go a step farther. I mean, there are a lot of... 401ks that allow you to actually roll over a portion or your entire balance of your 401k into an IRA after the age of 59 and a half. And one reason people do this, um, you know, they want to be able to uh, access different investments. Maybe they want someone to help them manage their account. They have significant money and they're trying to um, to make sure that they're doing uh, the right um, you know, choices with it. And they want someone on the outside. Maybe they want to do real estate or some other type of securities, but they basically would control it. And there's no penalties for doing that. So, you know, after 59 and a half, you, you may want to check and see if you're able to roll over. I know there are some companies in the area that allow you to do that. Yeah, most companies after 59 and a half, you can roll it out. So you certainly want to check that option. I've, I've never run into one, I think, that won't allow you to roll it out. So. So that's a good plan. Also, some of them allow you to do in-service withdrawals of the company match in mm-hmm. the plan. So uh, you can move some of that money out, get better diversification, and establish a relationship with a planner, somebody to help you plan for retirement. Um, so that's a, that's a great option. And then next on the list is making the wrong rollover moves. 
you know, after leaving a company, you may want to consider rolling your ex-employer's 401k plan into an IRA for better control, more and different types of investments and benefits for future beneficiaries, as we talked about. However, if you're still working past age 70 and a half, your current 401k is exempt from the RMD, the required minimum distribution. So past IRAs and 401ks are not. So while not rolling over your 401k can be a mistake, in some circumstances, rolling over while you're still working can also be a mistake. If you're 70 and a half or older, still working, and you don't need or want the extra income, you may actually consider rolling IRAs into your current 401k plan to avoid having to take RMDs. Um, an investment advisor, of course, can help you determine if that option makes sense for you. Um, you know, there are very few people, of course, that are working at 70, yeah. you know, at 70 and a half, uh, so it doesn't apply to too many people, but it's a good option if you do plan to work a few more years. Yeah, and here's the last one, uh, Steve, is not being proactive. I mean, this is an area where, where silence is, is not golden. Uh, make sure you're you're working with your financial advisors, maybe CPA or some other trusted uh, person, professional in your life, um, that you're you're being proactive on your retirement. Um, make sure you're doing some planning, and uh, you're you're talking about some of these issues, and you're kind of moving towards a goal. So, not being proactive is another issue. We see a lot of people a lot of times waiting too long, right. maybe a year or two before they retire. I mean, it should be. You really should start when you're in your 30s, but we do see a lot of people come in 10 years before retirement, and they, they're, quote, getting serious about what's going to happen and when they do retire. Yeah, so you need to stay on top of it. Yeah, so these eight mistakes, you know, they can have a dramatic impact on your retirement. Treat it like your own health. Get a checkup with an advisor or somebody who understands taxes, preservation of capital, retirement income, and distribution strategies. And remember, it's not your job to be a financial professional, so and know all the details and options, it's theirs. So be sure to work with an advisor who focuses on their strategies. And that's that's Kiplerner's advice, not just ours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. All right, that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question has to do with real estate. And we, we talk about this from time to time, Steve, is should I invest in real estate? And uh, it, it really depends on your your own circumstance. Um, some people, they do very, very well at it. They're, they're just... They're just cut from the right mold to handle the real estate ins and outs. Real estate is yep. an active investment. Yes, it it's is. It's not a passive investment. So uh, some people can do very well at it, but we also come across a lot of people who have done very, very poorly at it. So there is a lot of risk involved in it. I usually tell people, hey, if you want to get involved with it, start small. Try to pay cash for a small rental house if that's what you're looking for. Right. Don't go out and, and start building up a whole bunch of debt. That's what happened to Dave Ramsey. He had a lot of debt. The banks called his loans and he went bankrupt. So don't uh, set yourself up for failure. Yeah, I mean, we see people in real estate all the time and, and clients that want to get into real estate. They almost always use leverage. So they have loans against it. And that increases your risk dramatically, mm-hmm. um, dramatically. So you you got to know what you're getting into and know that there's going to be a lot of headaches, a lot of work involved and you know, cleaning the place up, trying to keep good tenants in there, trying to repair things, replacing hot water heaters and toilets and everything else that, you know, is involved in keeping up a rental property. So it's not for somebody. If you have to pay somebody to do all that stuff, you're not going to make money. I mean, it's very unlikely you're going to make money. So you've got to be a fix-it-upper. You've got to be somebody that can get in there and get your hands dirty and then stay on top of the people 
that are uh, that are renting it. You know, if they don't pay you, or if, you know, if you need to evict somebody, you got to be willing to do that. So, it's a different type person that really does well in real estate. But uh, but it certainly can be can be a good investment. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right, that leads up to our last topic here, and that is why elder financial abuse is a slippery crime. Um, unfortunately, it happens. All too often. I mean, we actually see that in our our small client base. I mean, we see I, – I know several people right mm-hmm. now that, mm-hmm. are, that are dealing with that. Yeah, yeah, see, this is a very, very interesting topic. This is uh, – the contributor for Forbes was Richard Eisenberg. And there's been studies that have been, been done on this. Um, you know, there is more government and uh, private initiatives starting to seriously attack uh, the this exploitation of older Americans. I mean, it's considered the most prevalent form of, of elder abuse, the financial side of it. So um, it's certainly a problem. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, a lot of people think it's rampant. Um, some people say it's invisible. It's expensive. It's, it's, it really is impacting our elderly community. And so how, how big of a problem is really impossible to say. The data is, is hard to get to. The reality is that we don't even have national data on the scope of the problem. But most analysts go with the uh, 2010 Investor Protection uh, uh, Elder Fraud Survey, which said one in five Americans over the age of 65 have been victimized by financial fraud. And a 2011 MetLife um, study determined that the, the uh, cost to seniors was close to $3 billion dollars annually so one in five twenty percent there's some other studies that say it's more rampant than that but that's that's a very significant number that's a huge number yeah yeah and there's a new study by truling financial a company that sells products and services to protect elder americans um, from financial abuse and and they say that elder abuse costs 36 billion dollars annually more than 12 times the metlife figures from a similar study that they did. Um, so, you know, it's out there. There's some, there's certainly some big cost associated with it. There, It's it's a significant percentage because we we see it and we see, but I think a lot of times it's family members that mm-hmm. are kind of mm-hmm. abusing them financially and, and they're actually, you know, asking them for money or getting them and to, to sign things over to them. So, it's a very common problem. Yeah, there was another study done by some uh, psychology professors that uh, said the issue wasn't as big as people were reporting. They looked at the uh, Federal Trade Commission's data on fraud complaint and uh, some of the databases out there. But, Steve, the problem with that is there's another study that says only one in 44 cases is reported. So if you're, only looking, if you're only looking at the databases of reported cases, you're missing the boat on this. Um, People don't report it because it's their family members a lot of times. That's right. They're often uh, reluctant to uh, report this. Um, you know, a lot of times they don't even know they've been uh, victimized. You know, they may have dementia um, and they've consented to give away assets. So they're certainly not going to report being abused because they don't even know it in a lot of cases. So each type of fraud has a different age spectrum. This is interesting. Investment scams peak around 65 and work from home scams, uh, weight loss scams, internet scams, they peak a little bit earlier than that. But theft by family members peak much later than that. So they're, they're kind of talking about, um, you know, the, the different times that the fraud occurs. So, you know, so why, why is curbing this abuse tough? I mean, if nailing down the, 
the uh, the data is tough. Curbing it and, and cracking down on it is even tougher. Only a small fraction of crimes are properly investigated and prosecuted. Um, you know, some some of the folks in the industry say they're woefully ill-equipped to handle the cases, both in terms of knowledge and resources, and there's some reasons for that. Yeah, for one thing, they point out here that the abuse often involves overlapping types of crimes like neglect and physical or sexual assault. Um, as uh, one of the leading experts here uh, points out, that um, you know, there's a lack of dedicated law enforcement and prosecution units of people with expertise to handle these often complex cases. Um, and for another, you know, many caregivers, family members, financial services employees, and police officers aren't trained in preventing, detecting, or dealing with the financial exploitation of the elderly. And there's often a, a lack of coordination between the agencies and professionals who have the pieces of the puzzle. Um, you know, I just think it goes unreported, John, mm-hmm. because it, a lot of times it is a family member, at least in the cases I've seen. And I, I've seen probably a, a half dozen, you know, over the last 10 years and related to family members, you know, of clients. And usually it's another family member. And uh, it's somebody that's just, you know, kind of milking them of money. Right, right, right. And it occurs over time as well. Right. And, you know, Steve, unfortunately, this, this uh, article goes on to talk about the federal government has essentially ignored the problem historically. But there's some ch- some changes. There's a 2015 White House Conference on Aging that has made elder justice one of its four tracks, and there's a whole bunch of uh, uh, departments that are involved in that. And last year, the Administration for Community Living created the first federal home for adult protective services, and it's developing a national uh, adult protective service data system to capture and analyze reports of abuse. So there's some some more governmental focus on this um, you know, issue to try to kind of ferret it out. Yeah, the Department of Justice now has a, a useful elder justice website. Um, they call it a one-stop shop for victims, families, prosecutors, researchers, practitioners. Um, here you can report elder abuse. You can find your local adult protective services and area agency on aging. The Department of Justice also has created training modules to help attorneys recognize and address phys- uh, financial exploitation of older Americans, and it now has a pocket guide for police explaining the legal issues of elder abuse. And also the SEC, the Security Exchange Commission, is getting more involved too. Um, Its first investor advocate, uh, you know, they say that in its first investor advocate, Rick Fleming says that one of the agency's priorities is to give financial services a professionals more effective tools to protect clients whenever an advisor or representative suspects financial or other type of abuse of a vulnerable client. So that's good because it, it, it really happens a lot, I think, and I think the one in five number might be right, mm-hmm. and I think it goes un, unreported in the yeah, most part. No, I agree. I agree. And so, you know, like you said in that right there, Steve, you know, financial advisors, um, you know, at some point in the future may be able to actually refuse or delay a transaction if they think there's an issue going on. The states are getting involved. There's something called Senior Safe. It's just a way to um, the bank tellers and managers can can uh, uh, identify and note to a, a governmental organization that there's some things going on. So, I guess bottom line on this, Steve, is is if you're, you know, 
older listening to this or you have uh, parents who are older, um, you know, you got to have a trusted person in your kind of circle of influence. Make sure you protect your parents um, and uh, you have someone helping you look at your financial stuff is what it boils down to. If you have a concern, talk to your financial advisor, talk to an attorney, CPA, and so forth to uh, to make sure you're not, um, you know, getting ripped off because a lot of people are. Yeah, I mean, get your kids involved and get more than one kid involved, you know, so that you have some checks and balances in place and just removes the appearance of impropriety. Um, so I, I would just you know, recommend when you when you start getting elderly or if your parents are getting elderly, try to get the whole family involved in helping with that situation and helping look over their finances. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think uh, many sets of eyes are, are a good thing in that situation. So... All right, great topic. And that leads up to our final thing here, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, so um, this has to do with loaning money. So be, be careful when you loan money to family. It usually ends up uh, giving um, versus loaning. So, And that obviously is going to create a lot of ill feelings. So I, I guess our recommendation is, um, you know, if you are going to, you know, loan money, it, view it as a gift. Exactly. And, Don't um, even call it a loan. Yeah, Um you know, and there usually I like to see a contract or, or uh, you know, formalize it that they have to do something. And a lot of times, what we recommend is is getting they the person that you're giving that money to they need to have some financial education. And Dave Ramsey's uh, financial peace class is a great you know requirement. If you're going to give them yep. a thousand bucks to help them out with whatever, they need to go to this class. Yeah, but certainly consider it a gift. I mean, don't even couch it as a loan because it's just going to create ill feelings. The chances of you getting a loan to a family member repaid yeah. is very, very slim. I mean, it just doesn't get repaid very often. And then usually it creates a wedge in the relationship for years to come because, you know, you're expecting it to be repaid and, you know, they don't have the money and they continue to dig a bigger hole. And, you know, all of a sudden they're not showing up to Thanksgiving dinner, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah, they can't right. handle the pressure. So it's just not a comfortable situation. Don't loan money to your family members. If you can't afford to give it as a gift, then don't do it at all. Yeah, I agree. There's a reason they're not getting money from the bank. Yeah, Because right. they're in terrible financial shape and they don't have credit. So if you loan them money, it's it's going to be a gift. Yep, that's so right. So there's our prescription of the week. All right, and that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune the next week on Money MD to hear more prescriptions for your financial help. Do check us on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call. Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Have a good one.